Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 223rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this episode is brought to you by the prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino, starring Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, and Tony Shalhoub. Consider it marvelous in all categories, including outstanding comedy series. My guest today has been one of America's sweethearts for more than 20 years, having started out as a child performer, then morphed into a 20-something fan favorite, before blossoming as an adult into one of the greatest actresses of her generation, Carrie Russell. Many of us first discovered Russell when she was a Mouseketeer, alongside Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, and Ryan Gosling on the Disney Channel's The All-New Mickey Mouse Club, on which she appeared from 1991 through 1994. Others caught on to her through a job that came along four years after that one ended, the starring role on J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves' romantic drama series, Felicity, which aired on the WB from 1998 through 2002, and for which she won a Golden Globe in 1999 and quickly became a star. And still others joined the Russell Express more than a decade after that show ended, when, after spending roughly a decade doing other things, taking some time away from the business and then returning to make indie films, she was cast against type as a Cold War-era Russian spy on Joe Weisberg and Joel Field's drama series The Americans, which came to be regarded over the course of its six-season run on FX, which spanned 2013 through May 30th of this year, as one of the best shows in the history of television. For her portrayal of Elizabeth Jennings, which New York Magazine has called, quote, one of the most complex performances ever on television, close quote, she has received two Emmy nominations, four Critics' Choice nominations, and a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Drama Series. Later this month, she will almost certainly receive another Emmy nomination in that category, which could well put her on the path to her first ever win. Not many people have played even one iconic character on TV, and those who have usually never quite emerge from its shadow. Russell, however, has now played two. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 42-year-old and I discussed a wide range of topics, among them. How she wound up a child star, and now, with the benefit of hindsight, how she feels about having gone to work at such a young age, how, just four years after moving alone to L.A. at 17, she wound up the star of Felicity, and before long, at the center of a lot of attention, not just for her performance, but also for her hairstyle, why, after four seasons on that show, she decided to step away from the business altogether, and why she then decided to come back to it two years later, how she, an actress who became famous for playing a college student pining for a boy and then was cast for years as wholesome moms, wound up approached, to even her own surprise, about playing a cold-blooded Russian sleeper agent on The Americans, why she proved so good at doing that, and how she feels now that the show has come to an end, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. We always begin with the same questions. Where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? <laughs> okay. I was born in Fountain Valley, California, mm -hmm. but then we moved to Arizona not long after that, and I spent... I think about 13 years in Arizona. I moved around a lot mm -hmm. is the short answer. So Arizona and then Colorado, mm -hmm. and now my parents are in Texas. Was the moving because of your parents' jobs, or what was that about? We were running from the law. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? Right, right. <laughs> no, maybe it wouldn't be cool. Yeah, it was just my dad's job. He like had a corporate job for Nissan, uh -huh. and they just kept moving his area. Right. And then they moved to Texas, and then I kind of left the house. So I don't know much about where they live <laughs> there. That. But Arizona and Colorado, I would say, are the main places. So from what I have been able to kind of read and also just revisiting, weirdly, I had done a, I, I dug up the transcript because we had done an interview on the phone for Waitress 11 years no. ago. The way it seems to me, there were like three steps to getting you here, weirdly, in a way, as a kid dance to modeling to performing. So can we go one by one just how these entered the picture? I don't know if I had much modeling. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, uh, I think that's a very loose term. Maybe my mom took my picture one time. <laughs> but dance, definitely. It's kind of the only thing I have training in. It was my sport growing up. I feel like it was what gave me, you know, 
self-confidence and it was like my sport mm. in school and I loved it it was all I wanted to do I would my parents didn't have a ton of money and when I moved to Colorado there was a studio I really wanted to dance at but they couldn't afford what I would have had to you know pay mm-hmm. to take all those classes so I got a scholarship and so what that means is going right after school and sometimes you'd have to like clean the bathrooms and mop the floors wow. and things and then I would dance there till like nine o'clock at night. I was gonna say I read uh, I think it was like a huge time commitment 30 or 40 hours a it week was, yeah on top of school yeah and then you'd like do these nerdy little like dance competitions on the weekend I mean I, I would have to assume that that's sort of what led you to go out for an audition when this comes along after whatever modeling there may have been somewhere in there but like so dance 13 yeah the thing I read was somebody saw you a photographer saw you or something oh, at 14 yeah that photographer who was at, at the dance studio he was doing a photo shoot at okay. the dance studio okay Gary Lyons I think he must have asked my mom or something, can I take a picture of her? Because he was doing, I don't know if it was a hair commercial or something. And, that and my that. mom was like, I don't know, should I let him know? <laughs> yeah, like, it comes up quite a lot on this podcast. People are like, a stranger wanted to photograph me. You're was, like, yeah. by the way, that's, <laughs> that's creepy, weird. okay? But I don't know, he was doing something and I think my mom let him and then, I don't know. But then what I really remember was... I must have been 15, mm-hmm. and a bunch of my dance friends were going to this giant open call in Denver, downtown, and it was the Mickey Mouse Club. Like, that's what Disney does, is they go to big cities and have <laughs> hundreds of kids show up. And so what did that really entail? Standing w- in line for yeah. a very, very long time <laughs> with a bunch of other kids, and then you kind of go in, and Matt Casella, who was the casting director for Disney then who by the way I mean like Ryan Gosling Britney Spears Christina Aguilera JT like Justin Timberlake Mm -hmm. basically you stood there and he said okay sing your song read this skit or some stupid thing from the Mickey Mouse Club and if you could do like a dance number that you had prepared and I wasn't a singer and I didn't know anything about acting so I did my nerdy dance or whatever I did and I read my little skit about like a mermaid or something. <laughs> I don't know. And then he said, do you want to sing a song? And I said, oh, I'm not a singer. And he said, the paraphrasing that I remember, which Matt might take umbrage with, is I think he said something along the lines of, little girl, have you seen the line of kids waiting outside? Do you want to sing a song or not? And I was like, I don't sing. Right. And I think he made me come back and sing happy birthday or something just to know that I wasn't tone deaf, which maybe I was. <laughs> How soon after that did you find out that you were advancing in this? Was it a one and done, or you had a few different callbacks? There were definitely a few different things. You also had to go to Florida and do, there were different groups that they put you with. They also wanted to see how you were as a kid, kind of, like interact with other kids. Mm-hmm. They didn't want any bad kids. Right. <laughs> Disney doesn't want bad kids. Is... Little did they know. Right. And then I think they also kind of wanted to check out our parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because we're also little and... They're going to have to deal with them too. Yeah, yeah, which I get. What did your parents make of this whole pursuit even before you got it, just that you were even now you know, going after it and kind of moving along in it? I think they knew nothing about it. Yeah. And they were kind of like, if you want to do it, I guess. And they let me do it, and they supported me. And first of all, any kid in this business, it's creepy. Mm. I'm sorry. Like, any way you cut it, it's creepy. Like, kids should be going to school and messing up and, you know, being a kid. There should be no serious, you know, responsibility on them. But at the same time, some of my best friends are still from it. And it was an ideal situation for a kid because there were 19 of us. So the adults were invisible to me. It was just this weird, like, teenage world. And I feel like most kids are the only kid Mm -hmm. surrounded by adults, and so they're so adultified. Well, do you remember when you got it, how you got the news and how big a deal that was? Did you appreciate how big a deal it was when you... I think I was so excited, but it's hard to remember things from when you're 15. (laughs) It's really hard. But I think I was super excited super excited. So how did your life now just logistically change? You you got to uproot and go spend most of your time in Florida now? Yep. We moved to Disney World <laughs> and we got an apartment. And I remember my brother and sister coming to visit for the summer. And my brother, who was older, 
and a wild teenager definitely doing a lot of drugs on Space Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just super fun. I mean, I, like the kids on that show were wildly talented. And I'm not being funny. I was the least talented on that show. No joke. Like the least talented. There, there were singers who were insane. Like, and I'd never been around. Like, it was crazy. And you were on the older side of the kids that were there, right? Well, so the famous kids from the show, right. you know, <laughs> like, right. the ones who became really famous, right. a lot in music, came in kind of a second wave when I was 17 and they were 12. But even some of the older kids mm. that, I mean, they're like incredible musicians in that group. Well, but I mean, Disney obviously saw something very special in you because not only were you doing, at one point, not only were you doing the show, but you then got a movie job too, right? And I remember reading just the juggling of doing that. You didn't really even have a weekend, right? You're commuting across the country. It was a, I mean, was that kind of a thing fun or gratifying because you know you're advancing or or just a little bit of a bummer because you want to have a life like a kid? Or how did you experience those years where a lot of people would look at it and say, oh, you get to be at Disney World, you get to be well known and whatever. But did you enjoy those years? Specifically when I was doing that movie job at the same time because that's kind of the way Disney does it. They sign you (laughs) when you're a kid. You sign an overall contract. So it's very old school Hollywood kind of. Like, I don't care if you do a rap on a podcast or, you know what I mean, you're on a sitcom, you're on a movie, you're, you're, it's all under the Disney umbrella. That's kind of how they did it. I'm assuming they still do it. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was a big deal Mm -hmm. to go do this movie, but all I wanted was to be with those teenagers. So yeah, I would fly the red eye back to Florida for the weekend after my film job was over and do like one day of shooting on the Mickey Mouse Club, which I thought was really cool. But I don't know, it's hard to remember. You know, Everything happens for a reason, and I'm so thankful for the path that led me on. But I, I think it's weird to be in that professional world as a kid. Well, you had said, and I think it may have been our prior interview quote, there's something strange about having that much pressure at that young of an age. I mean, from the time I was 15, I was paying my own rent, close quote. Yeah, you do. So one of my dear, dear friends who was also on the show, who's now like a big time lawyer, we were both living in New York as like young adults mm-hmm. at the time. I remember I had just gone to see that documentary Spellbound yeah. about yes Spelling Bee Spelling Bee yeah. and I walked out and I saw Alana in the line and I was like Alana and I grabbed her because I had just seen it and I said call me after this <laughs> because that's how it feels yeah. like it's so exciting but it's so nerve wracking yeah. because you don't get to mess up because there's money involved somehow and I hope like for most kids, you should be able to like mess up and people go, it's no big deal, right. whatever. You felt there were stakes here. There's there's stakes. Right. And I think that's what's difficult. But you know what? Whether you're a kid actor or whatever, there's versions of that in all walks of life. Sure. And it definitely makes you who you are. And, you know, I'm not turning tricks on the side of the street <laughs> yet. <laughs> But we'll see. Hey, the show's the coming to an end. Young. We have some time now. I need some cash. <laughs> well, so after, I think it was three seasons of that, did they, they canceled it? Is that what happened? The show got canceled or they just ended it or what was I the... I think I got canceled. You got canceled? <laughs> <laughs> I think they, strangely about the Mickey Mouse Club, boys made it to like 17, 18, but girls <laughs> aged out. And I think we know the reason yes, why. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> they're like, that one's trouble. Right, Get her out. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, so when that happened, for whatever reason, yeah. when your time came to an end there, what happened with you? You moved out here, right? Yeah, so I moved out to L.A. I had the opportunity to graduate early because we were tutored. Right. So right. if you were, you know, decent at school, you could just move as fast as you needed to. Yeah. And I moved out to L.A. and I slept on someone's couch. And I moved out here alone, basically, at 17. Because you knew that you wanted to continue with this stuff or because that was what people said? Like, why? So I didn't ever, like, dream of being an actress or Mm -hmm. being in this business. But it was just something that kind of happened. And I thought, well, this is fun. This Mm -hmm. is better than, I don't know, Mm -hmm. going to some office day in, day out. Like, I'll just keep trying. And so I did. 
And it worked out for a couple of years, I guess. And Well, those first few years, just what was your life like out here? How did you even know what to do? I guess you now had a manager. I guess probably. I had a manager. I, I must have gotten an agent. Right. Going out on things. And Going you did, out on things. You, you were working right away. I mean, there were these shows maybe are not as remembered as others that you did because they didn't last all that long. I don't understand long. why. But <laughs> they, I, they were amazing. Dudley Moore sitcom, yes. Daddy's Girl. Aaron Spelling soap opera, Malibu Shores. All time. So you were working almost as soon as you got out here. But were you saying, I'm content, I'm, uh, let's keep the keep it going like this or you were frustrated or how were you looking at things when you were out here for the first few years that's a good question i don't know i think i was just a kid i wasn't taking it too seriously i think i was just like i'll try to get a job Mm -hmm. and if it worked out it worked out but i think i was still such a kid like it's you know i think i was taking it all kind of lightly which probably helped me in some way yeah how did at some point, along with all these other shows that are now, you know, these other shows that we mentioned, how now did another one called Felicity <laughs> first cross your radar? And did you immediately realize that it was sort of a, a big deal? Now everybody knows who JJ and Matt are, but at the time I would imagine that was not the case. So did it stand out from whatever else you were being sent right away? You know, it was one of those pilots that I read and I thought it was so funny. It was sad too, but I thought it was like, I just got it. And I actually remember going to the screen test and standing out there with all these girls. They were all talking about the part because it was so well written. JJ mm-hmm. Matt had written such a beautiful story. Like so it had such a hook and they were all talking about how sad it was. I was like, I think it's really funny. <laughs> I was like, am I missing it? Right. Like, do I, am I missing? But I think those scenes are funny. Yeah. With the, where Ben is like, I, I don't remember you. And Felicity's like, what? <laughs> no, but I came, what? I, like, I think those are so funny. They're, they're heartbreaking, but they're funny. Just in case anyone by some horrible circumstance has not kept current with Felicity, let's just say this is a girl who abandons plans to go to Stanford med in school. med mm-hmm. school in order to follow a guy she has a crush on who like wrote a paragraph in her year in, in her, her yearbook, yearbook to the she, east coast where he's so she'll go to the school where he is she's like i drop everything because you wrote two sentences to me <laughs> you do know who i am i love you <laughs> which is amazing it's, uh, and like everyone can relate to that idea true love a true love so you were into it you go to the casting yeah and maybe you were thinking there's going to be a couple other people there, but... There's like literally 8,000. <laughs> I'm not joking. Right. There were so many girls and all like lined up in the hallways that I was going to leave. I was like, this is crazy. I'm not going to wait here for three hours. This is nuts. Mm-hmm. And I must have. And actually, hilariously, there was an actress back in the olden days when used to like <laughs> wait in a waiting room and there was like a right. phone in the waiting room. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And there's, there was a girl in there who was actually well known now. And I remember her having a phone conversation. There were about 15 other girls in this room cramped in and other girls in the hallway having a full-blown loud conversation with that we could all hear about her mom and how everyone felt about her mom and blah. I was like is this happening like what's going on oh yeah. my god well yeah. so you go in and it, according to a thing I read that JJ said to another publication quote when Carrie came in I was blown away she was so pretty I thought there was no way she could play the part and then she started reading and was just funny as hell and if you're funny, I don't care. You win. Close quote. <laughs> Do you remember what you did that was so funny when you were in there? You have to kind of stand out from the pack. I have no idea. But you know what? I feel like JJ and Matt, who I'm still very close with, like there are certain people that you just find along the way and you just get their rhythm. Mm-hmm. And they're just one of those people, you know? I, I just get them. I get their jokes. I you know, we like speak the same language and that's just the way it worked. Well, so you walk out of the audition. It's not like they tell you right there that you've got it. What did you do between the finish of the audition session and finding out you got the part? The very final, final audition, which was like for the screen test for the network and everything. And I was still pretty young. I must've been 20 or -hmm. 21. I just remember thinking it was a really big deal. (laughs) <laughs> what we had just finished. And I felt like 
win or lose, it was going to be a big deal to me. So I drove to this restaurant and I like had a giant steak dinner on my own and I didn't pick up my phone or do anything. And then when I finished, I like went home and on my answering machine, there were all these messages like, why, where are you? Why are you calling us back? You got the job. That's awesome. So you though appreciated going in that if you got it, this is going to change everything. Well, I just felt like I liked it. It was probably the first thing that I was actually like, oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. I hope I get it. Mm-hmm. And I guess what, when I say change everything, I'm, that doesn't make sense because it was, it was the pilot that was being right. green-lighted, but no guarantee it's going anywhere after that, right? No guarantee at all. When it did get ordered to series, you were, I think at that point, 21, and there's an LA Times profile of you that was before, I think what came out the day the show was going to premiere. Oh my God. And by that point already, you had been on like a media blitz <gasps> and sort of the WB had figured out the... There's a certain process that if you're going to be a star of WB show, you're going to be on 17 magazine cover. You're going to have all these different things. You sounded already before anyone had ever seen Felicity. First of all, like the takeaways were it was clear you were going to be somebody people were paying a lot of attention to going forward. But also you seem to have had it with the press (laughs) and with the whole process. And nobody in the public had even seen the show yet. But you had just had I really had it. Do you remember that? Like. The whole idea that you're now going to be not only, all right, so you're going to have your job of doing the show, but all the annoying stuff that comes with it, you were not necessarily that excited about. You know, I'm a nervous person in general, like doing that stuff. I mean, I'm nervous and I think it's hard for me. Like being good on talk shows or being good in a photo shoot is very different than reading something that really speaks to you and then you try to work it out or do your best. And I found that difficult. Mm-hmm. And I was the main character of the show. I wasn't sharing it with, with anyone. And I was such a kid and I'd never been famous before like that. And it was hard. Or being asked, I know this was one of the things that came up in that thing that you're having to answer probably for the first time because this is the first time people are really focused on you. All kinds of personal questions, which when you're 20, 21, I don't even, I, I, you were saying that it was actually the bad thing was it was mostly the, the female interviewers that would sort of see how far they could get with asking you certain private questions. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, but imagine being one of those kids now. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I didn't have paparazzi or social media. Smartphones. I mean, imagine that. Like, I don't even want to tell you like the stuff I like I could have gotten so much <laughs> thank God it was back then right. because I don't know how you navigate it now but yeah I, I think I did I think I found it a struggle because I also back then didn't want anyone to put makeup on me <laughs> or I didn't want to like wear anything fancy or didn't want to like when I went to the Golden Globes which I didn't know what they were PS this is when you're first time you go you're nominated for the first season of Felicity so in 99, you go to the Golden Globes as a nominee. Which I didn't know what they were. Okay. <laughs> Someone called me, explained right, to me. Right. And I remember going and people doing your hair and makeup for it, and I didn't want them to do anything to my hair. I was like, but why? it should just be like how it is. Right. Like, why should I be trying to pretend I'm someone else? Like, I was so caught up in this weird Very thing, authentic. which is so stupid. Right. Now I'm like, pile it on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I was really like, I look at those pictures and I'm like, why didn't someone do something to my hair? <laughs> well, let's just note as an aside, you won that night. <laughs> So that oh was. Oh my God. That, I was just like in a total blackout. Just in a blackout of nervousness. Just yes. like, please let it end. Please let it end. <laughs> I think I went home and ate waffles. Like I left <laughs> the party. The, that was your after party. And I went home nice. and ate waffles. So, why was it, in your expert opinion, that the public, and particularly people of a certain age who are now, you know, who really grew up with that show, but I mean, at large as well. Why did people fall in love with Felicity the character and Felicity the show and through them you? What was that about? Oh, I think it was all J.J. Matt's story. I just think they created this sweet, sweet, undeniable story that everyone can relate to, which is the what if I would have followed this person that is not the person you're supposed to marry, is not the right career, is not maybe what you're the best at, but it's like that hope, like, oh my God, 
I love that person so much. I just wanted to make out with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone knows that feeling. Right. Even if it's not a guy, if it's like, I wish I would have like followed art or, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows that fucking like burning feeling and I think that's what people related to it was so sweet Mm -hmm. and these were two mid 30 year old guys writing a show about this girl and how do you explain that how do they know what a what a younger woman is thinking I was gonna say something really inappropriate but (laughs) it's not kosher these days but I feel like they're really sentimental Mm -hmm. and they're sensitive but like all these funny ideas like you know showing up getting invited to a Halloween party and then like thinking like oh my god well everyone's gonna show up and like be dressed up and then Felicity comes is like dressed full force in Bride of Frankenstein and everyone else is like wearing cool girl like half shirts and stuff (laughs) and she's like oh (laughs) I I also was gonna wear that outfit but then I was like I I thought it was a costume party but (laughs) you know it was they were just so I don't know I think it was just this Heartbreaker of a story, and I right. think it is, was easily relatable. And so I think it was JJ and Matt. You know that I can't leave the topic of Felicity without asking about one certain thing that happened in season two, which I'm sorry you've had to oh, answer this sorry. forever. Oh my but <laughs> this is when Felicity decides to cut off <laughs> her hair, right. which I don't know if you knew when you had it before in season one that it was so valued, I but now you cut it off and the world goes apeshit. Did you decide independently, I want to cut off my hair and then it had to be incorporated into this? Or was the discussion with the creators? Did you imagine that it would have this kind of blowback? What was that all about? So the real story of what happened was the end of season one, we were finishing this crazy long season and we would always shoot Friday nights till, you know, like five in the morning because Matt, who was directing most of those early episodes, was a film director. And he was kind of like, well, I'm gonna make a little movie every week. No no one needs to go home. Like we should do 18 hour days, five days a week, because it should look beautiful, which right. I really feel like he did. He created this like filmic, beautiful, poetic image mm-hmm. for TV in a way that, that kind of wasn't there before. Anyway, so the hair department was packing up all their stuff from the trailer at the end of a season hair and makeup packs up all their stuff Mm -hmm. in boxes and then load it onto trucks or whatever and they were putting away all these weird wigs and there was this one wig I don't know why they had little boy wigs (laughs) (laughs) but there was this one little short brown boy wig and I put it on and it was like strangely kind of cute and we were laughing hysterically and we took a picture of me in it and we were like oh my god this will be so funny Let's send this to JJ and Matt over the summer and say, oh, look, I cut my hair. Ha ha ha. I hope you like it. (laughs) So we did. And we thought it was so funny. And then I am up actually at my girlfriend, Alana, who I was talking about before, at her lake house Mm -hmm. up in Canada, Mm -hmm. in Muskoka. And they're like, there's a phone call. Someone's trying to get in touch with you. I'm like, what? And it was JJ and Matt. No joke. No laughing about the picture at all. They're like, would you cut your hair? I was like, where's the part where you joke because it was so funny? Right. <laughs> and they're like, we actually think it would be such a good storyline. We're looking at it and we're realizing that's what every college girl does. They break up with their boyfriend and they all cut their hair and they look crazy. And then, and it's such a good, would you consider it? And I said, let me think about it. And so I thought about it for a few weeks and I said, yeah, why not? Like, it, it's so true to what college yeah. girls do. So we got back to the, for the second season. And I actually remember sitting with JJ at some, I don't know, press luncheon thing we had to do. And he was looking at me with my crazy fro hair and he was like, (laughs) are we really gonna cut your hair? And I was like, yeah. And so it was all planned. But I think what happened is honestly what the press picked up on is for the WB there was some, like there was a network executive who was giving just like a lovely speech and Mm -hmm. probably trying to be funny. And I think what she said was, we'll never let someone cut their hair again. It had already been done, we'd already shot it on camera, but somehow the press picked that up so they thought I did it on my own. And meanwhile it was all coordinated. What about when people did see this now? It was just sort of manufactured in the by the media to create a controversy? Or you think people were actually upset? Because there's been, I don't, I haven't looked at the ratings, so I didn't confirm this, but I saw one thing that maybe in season two there's a little bit of a dip and people blamed the 
well, haircut? The thing that it's also not explained is yeah. they changed our day. That'll affect that too. Yeah. yeah. So they changed our day and our time slot. Okay. Which, but it's easier and it's more fun to it's say the hair. hair. <laughs> you know well, I mean? and I love that I had seen in an interview that you did more recently where you don't think that if this happened today, 20 years later or whatever, that there would be this same kind of uproar because people can't, you can't talk about a young girl's looks like this anymore, right? I mean, some doesn't like, stop certain people. Literally, from, yeah, like, it, yeah. I do remember someone coming up to me one time, like in a mall or something, and said, you were so pretty before you cut your hair. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, wow. It's weird. This is my life now. But you know what? I loved it because I, well, first of all, I, lo- I totally stand by the storyline. I think it's right. so perfect. Right. And by the way, like, it's not like Felicity was some fashion-y, she wore no makeup. She wore boys like Baggy chino, yeah, like yeah, so, yeah. sweaters and things. Yeah. So it was hilarious. I mean, who knew people like curly hair so much? <laughs> no. Who knew? It's a, we learned something. Yeah, we did. A last thing about Felicity. Did you enjoy playing her as much in season four as you did in season one? Or as with a lot of things, does it just sort of, especially when you're that young, maybe, do you are you kind of itching to just do something else by the end of the run? I loved that character, mm-hmm. and I still love it. Mm-hmm. Like, it has such a sweetness to it. And the thing about Felicity, like, she was all truth. You know what I mean? Unabashedly, which is such a good quality. And I think part of my nervousness got to live out in that character. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to hide a little bit <laughs> in that. And because it was my first big mm-hmm. role, there was a real freedom in it because I would watch a lot of our guest stars come on who were more cast to be the pretty girl. And I really was able to watch from afar mm-hmm. how not as fun that was. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, that's not as fun to have to be pretty and wear the right thing and have your makeup fixed. I was like, I don't have to do any of it. <laughs> I just get to wear my Converse <laughs> and like do whatever I gotta do. Right. Why did it end? It ended just that you, you guys all I think decided the network to move was on? done. Network yeah. Was, yeah, I think we never had great ratings, mm-hmm. and I think they wanted to see out her graduation. Right, then and then they were done. Natural, and, and it yeah. was it was good because it was long. You know, twenty two episodes a year is rough. So that's four year period of your life when that was ending. What was your outlook about your own future? Like, did you know you wanted to keep acting, go into something else? Because there was a, a hiatus there. Yeah, no, I didn't want to do it anymore. You were ready to walk away from acting entirely. Yeah, I just, you know, there's something about doing network television. I, I don't think, I, I'm not complaining at all because it's such a great life. Like, I've had such a nice life. But I don't think people understand the hours you work. That's a grind. It's a grind. What were you doing, 22 episodes? So it was 22, sometimes 24. So Monday morning is you wake up pretty much at 4.30 because you have to be at, on set at 5.00. That's when you start hair and makeup. But I was 21. Like, I wasn't drinking at bars. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? I was going to work. Yeah. And so then you do that. And then by Friday, you're, because the schedule keeps pushing back, so you'd work about 16, 17 hours a day. And then by Friday, you were finishing by 5 a.m. So then you'd go to sleep, and then you'd wake up and do it again on Monday. And you'd have about a month and a half off a yeah. year. That's a lot. But I kind of just wanted to have friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wanted to like, I don't know, show up to a birthday party no, every once in a while. Was college ever something that you, was that ever in the equation? I did think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have been a really good student. So when I finished, I thought about going to college. Mm-hmm. Basically, I, I went to San Francisco for a week and I went to New York for a week. And I was just, just deciding where I wanted to move. Mm-hmm. And because the great thing about working that many hours is you have no time to spend any money. So I, unlike every person on the cast, did not buy a house or a fancy car. And it was great because I got to save all this money. And I went to San Francisco and kind of wandered for a bit. And then I went to New York. And when I got back from New York, my best girlfriends there wrote me this letter and sent all these short story books about New York and said, this is absolutely meant to be propaganda, choose New York. (laughs) And I did. And it was like kind of one of the best decisions because I got to just rent this amazing apartment. Mm -hmm. 
I had no furniture in it for a long time. I had mattresses on a bed. I moved with my clothes and a giant box of books. And I just got to be a kid, mm-hmm. you know? And I got to, like, watch The Bachelorette with my girlfriends <laughs> <laughs> eating bad takeout right. and go dancing and walk home drunk in the snow and cry about boys not liking you and, you know, read books and wander museums and do all that shit that I was desperate to do that I'd missed out on. Mm -hmm. And it like saved me. And I I really, my girlfriend saved me and I got to just kind of wander and I needed to that. And I'm very thankful for that time in New York. And then slowly, after about a year and a half, I remember, and I think it was Scott Speedman, one of the times he was out, he was like, you know, you said you were going to take a year off. It's like been a year and a half. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm fine. I'm doing fine here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, was part of this, though, almost a test of yourself to see, do I actually want to do this of my own accord? Like, you know, not that you had gotten into Disney and all that stuff as a kid because somebody, it sounds like nobody no, pushed you into yeah. doing it. But like now you're an adult. It's a right. very different thing. Do you actually hunger to do this or were you just doing yeah. it because that's what you do? Exactly. I think that's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah. Like, is this what I want? Mm-hmm. Because the life of being on a network TV show, I I, I didn't want yeah. anymore. Like, I was like, you you have no life. And I loved that show and I love JJ and right. Matt. And I'm so thankful for my experience. But it wasn't enough of a life for me. And so is that why when you came back, basically... It seems like you waded deeper and deeper in. Initially, it was a play, Fat Pig, Neil Did Laboot. I do that first? I think it's got 2004. 2004. Maybe, though, you may have already been shooting oh, Into yes. the West. So you know what I did first, What's which that? was like my dip in, mm-hmm. I feel like, was I did a really small part in a independent movie that the Joan Allen was yeah, in. Yeah, oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. So someone dropped out. Yeah. And... It was like a smaller part of one of the sisters. And I thought, maybe I can try it because I'm not the lead and I'll see what that feels like. And it was so good because Joan is so, she's full of such grace and such talent. And I was like, oh, and she's nice. Mm -hmm. And she's enjoying her life and Mm -hmm. she's really good at it. So I was like, oh, she's succeeding. Right. Like, it's it's working out for her. So that was but she was one. like a, a good marker for me. Interesting. But I, I really watched her to think like, you know, is someone surviving it right. in a way that I like? Right. And she did. So just, there was that. There was the Neil Bue play. That was really fun. Fat Pig, 2004. Really miniseries Into the West. This is produced oh, by yeah? Spielberg for TNT, the most Emmy-nominated program of that year. Hmm. And then a bunch of movies. So it's Mission Impossible 3, 2006. In 2007, both Waitress and August Rush. Oh. So it's like, seems clearly you were not itching to go back and to be a regular on a TV series right away, right? Right. And so how would you describe the types of film parts that were generally sent your way at that point in time? Like, were you thrilled with the variety of them? I was a lot of nice moms. <laughs> I think there's something about my face that screams nice pregnant girl. Because <laughs> they were all pregnant. I mom. don't know why. Right, right. But there's something that's like, she would be a nice pregnant girl. What a lovely, girl. awesome. Yeah. Which, by the way, I have three kids and right. I like them a lot. I always knew I'd be a mom. Right. So maybe there's something about my face that screams it. But I was a lot of nice moms. But at the same time, I got to go to a lot of cool places. Like, <laughs> maybe that sounds really shallow. No. But I love that about this job like I I took this job because I wanted to go to Portland and live in Portland Oregon for three and it was amazing and I loved living there and those western the I first of all I've always wanted to do western and please please someone put me in a western that's all I live for I said it Kevin Costner was in that Joan Allen movie right and I said Kevin next western (laughs) I'm done like that's all I want to do is a western and he was like there, there's no cool parts for girls in Western. What do you want to get raped or like be a, a, a in working in a brothel? And I was like, come, on, like that's all I live for because right. I had done. Oh, maybe I had done that into the West and those mountains. Like I love those mountains so much, and all I want to do is ride that horse. I would wear my jeans under my big long prairie skirt so that <laughs> the second they called lunch, I could whip my prairie skirt off and like grab my horse and we'd go race. And it was just that's it was awesome. so fun. But so. I feel like a lot of my career, too, I've taken for adventure 
purposes because I wanted right. to go be there. Okay, so but at a time when you are for years being offered not that I mean you made these things good like waitress was ended up being very good and the whole backstory of that one is crazy and sad crazy. with Adrian yeah. Shelley and that was the one that I you know had interviewed you when you were in the thick of that and it was I'm sure just the most bizarre so sad bizarre. Yeah. press period in your life to have to deal with all that but the point is like everyone's seeing you as this nice mom so what <laughs> in the world made John Landgraf at FX say, because I believe the idea was first his, to go to you to play a very badass Russian sleeper agent spy. It now makes a lot of sense six seasons after that happened, but I mean, I think at the time a lot of people thought that was insane, right? It's so crazy. (laughs) It's so crazy that John would do that, but it's totally John's idea, and it speaks so much to who he is about kind of his creativity and his courage. He is so fascinating as a person. He's so interesting and he's so bright and, but yeah, so he, I remember cornered my manager, Joni, mm-hmm. at like a Christmas party or some holiday party and was like, Joni called me. I was like, what is he talking about? Like, what is he talking about me? You didn't necessarily believe it was, it no. made sense. No, and I, I was kind of like, what is, he wants Felicity <laughs> to be this cold Russian spy? What? What? But now I completely get it because, you know, you're asking the audience to sort of root for these people doing terrible things. So he was like, I need someone who sort of people like have this preconceived notion about and then when they're doing all of these things you kind of have this <laughs> innate you <laughs> yeah. know trust them this or whatever. thing yeah I guess well the way he put it to New York Times quote I wanted to see Felicity's dark side close quote <laughs> so I guess he got his wish I, I think he did and for you though once you were won over to the idea that all right maybe I'll you know it's worth exploring what apart from being offered something different than you were getting elsewhere appealed to you about it. Again, it's a big commitment to agree to be a series regular. Why was that worth possibly, you know, getting into again with this to you? Well, number one, it was cable TV, which is this amazing thing that's overtaken us right now, which is so much more livable because it's 10 or 13 episodes, which are much more, it just makes more sense for everybody because it's half the amount of time of the year. So yes, I do work till three in the morning or four in the morning, but I do it hard for like five months. And then the rest of the time I'm with my kids. Mm -hmm. And creatively for everyone working on it, like it's just easier. But there was the story of the marriage that was just fascinating to me. Like all of the lying and the complication of it. And that was really interesting. And then I met Joe Weisberg, who Mm -hmm. was the creator of the show Mm -hmm. at a coffee shop. And I sat with him and he told me he was in the CIA for a little bit and I just sat with him for like an hour and grilled him on what the vetting process was. I've always sort of been fascinated by spies. In fact, early on in JJ's and my life correspondence, there was some big uncovered thing that happened in the New York Times and I remember I was obsessed with reading all this stuff, papers had come out about these spies Mm. and we were emailing about it. So I think I've always sort of loved this world, but I think truly it was just, I don't know, you never, who knows why I took it. It was just like a chance, like everything else is, and it was like paid off. Prior to the Americans, had you ever heard of Matthew Reese? And once things got serious about you both doing this, did you have to test opposite each other, or how did that come together? Did they have to, imagine they had to make sure you two were compatible. So we did have to screen test, the truth is we had met 10 years prior to this, but I didn't remember. <laughs> what context was that? <laughs> the truth is we were at a kickball party in Rustic Canyon Okay. that I was invited to by Clark Gregg, who was mm-hmm. married to Jennifer Grey. Mm-hmm. And I was pining after a boy from years and years and years and about to move to New York. And Clark was like, come to this kickball party, it's super fun. And I was like, okay. And I went and we had, it was fun. And then 
leaving the kickball party, I was in the parking lot with some stragglers who apparently turned out to be Matthew Reese and his Welsh friend, Yoan. <laughs> so he reminded you of this later? He reminded me of it like after our first fight training session. I think we were having like sushi all sweaty and he was like, we've met before. I was like, no, we haven't. He's like, yeah. I was like, no. He's like, a kickball party. And as soon as he said that, <laughs> it came back. I was like, oh my God. I was That's like, you left a crazy. drunk message on my answering machine. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, so he was interested from the beginning. <laughs> and he tried to get me to stay at this parking lot, but there was no beer left. There was some beer, but it wasn't open and we had no opener. And he like, really injured his thumb trying to open this oh, bottle of beer. That's crazy. And what? my favorite thing is, who said that? I think it was Seth Meyers was like, I like it. He really plays the long game. <laughs> 10 years. And then but, he meets you. But, and then he has a baby with you. Unbelievable. Yeah. What a crazy story. So yeah. show gets going. When did you first realize that this had the potential to be, you know, felt to you like it was really coming together? Maybe even something special? I have no idea because we were operating under our own little, the Americans, which is, I feel like one of its assets is, it feels like a really rough and tumble kind of independent film. It, it was never fancy. We didn't have a ton of money, but I think all those things serve artistry mm -hmm. in a way. So it was always really creative and it was people who wanted to be there. Yeah. Like it wasn't ego people. It was down and dirty. It was cold. It was late at night. Because where do you mostly shoot? Shooting in New York right. in winter, which I feel like is part of the personality of the show. Yep. Everyone's like tight and frigid and just making it work. And I don't know when it, because we never really had, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think we ever had great ratings. But I feel like critics started writing really nice things right about it. And I think it's a smart show and it was really interesting. And Was it ever a concern of yours though at the beginning that your audience, which was obviously going to presumably consist mostly of patriotic Americans, would be willing to get on board in a way rooting for Russian spies. I mean, yes, it was pre-current era of Russia phobia again, but like that was a major thing that had to happen for the show to resonate, right? Yeah, but I think their marriage story was so strong and so unique that to me, any job that is really worth taking to me is about the story. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I I feel like that was their hook. That This was such a cool marriage story that hadn't been told and in such an interesting way that I, I think it was that's what worked about it. Maybe this is just my sick mind, but I was always <laughs> trying to figure out, are they sending some kind of subliminal message calling these the couple Elizabeth and Philip? The only other Elizabeth and Philip is the queen and the prince who have she's a pretty tough you know i never thought of that isn't that weird but that's a joe and joel question i'll have to follow up. or a joe question because i guess he wrote it. <laughs> it that's it's really interesting she is so strident yeah that's so funny that's, <laughs> that's crazy well the other kind of poetic thing is you had to you, you know everybody knows that just by the nature of a spy related show there's going to be a lot of disguises and yeah things involving also hair there's something kind of poetic about the fact that almost every episode you have to change your hair here and yeah doesn't you know freedom freedom no one's no one's <laughs> canceling the show that, right? because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like in all seriousness is there anything harder for an actor than playing a character who is acting i think it's a gift because in a way you get to bad act because what you get to do is tell something that your character shouldn't reveal to other people, right? Because that character has to get you to fall in love with me, but you don't know that I'm this person, so I can really tell you about this thing that's really bothering me. Do you know what I mean? But even just keeping that straight and not, I mean, that's silly. You can keep obviously keep it straight, but I, I mean. I know what you're saying, yeah. Like, that, that's a different layer of challenge, right? It is, but it's so fun. It's so cool. <laughs> I mean, I think. We all have versions of that in our own life, and I think that's what you need to relate it to. You have, you know, you're a different person telling that story to your mom than you are to your guys at the bar when you've had your third beer. <laughs> like, that's the difference. That's you know, it's, it's just varying degrees, and I think that's what you always come back to, especially with those characters. Like, yes, you can give someone a limp and an eye patch, right. but the truth is it sells better when you're closer to yourself and you're just a different version of yourself. And we all have different versions of ourselves. Interesting. Well, so 
this is sort of like almost like a DVD commentary kind of thing where people go back and watch it and they want to now look for hints of things. But in what season, if I can ask, did you and Matthew become a couple? <laughs> well, that's dangerous territory. Um, <laughs> I think you kind of know when you see somebody. Like, I just knew. I was so, like, season one. Yeah, I was sort of like, uh-oh. <laughs> did that help or complicate the portrayal of a the fact that you now have to play a couple as well? I mean, that's not a most original question, but I'm curious, like, just does it help or hurt when there are actual feelings there? Oh, I think it helps in the beginning, but then <laughs> when you start fighting and things, I think things can really not help. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think we have a really nice intimacy together and I think that only helps but you know they're definitely six years into it when the crew's like uh oh this isn't a very good day (laughs) they could tell I hope mom and dad stop fighting soon (laughs) so what did it mean to you mentioned maybe the maybe the ratings were not what the show deserved to have throughout a lot of the run but from the from the beginning critics were saying this is the best show on TV all of that so that's the two extremes then you've got this weirdness where the Emmys, maybe just because there's so much on TV now, so much good stuff. They don't even know. They yeah. don't have time where to look. But so the first three years, how did it feel when they were not almost? It's like they were unaware of the show. And then season four, when suddenly out of the blue, the show, you, Matthew, everybody suddenly invited yeah. to the party. How did those, both of those situations feel? Well, I didn't mind not being nominated at all. I mean, because I loved our little spot. We were kind of in this amazing, sweet spot. I mean, who doesn't want to be in the spot where everyone's like, you should have been nominated. (laughs) That's like the best spot ever. Like, everyone's like, no, you are so great. (laughs) What's, I'll tell you what's not great. Like, (laughs) like everyone's saying you're so great and going and like never winning or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's the worst, worst version. But we had such a sweet spot. Like, I never bemoaned that at all and we were never like famous enough like I love like that's the best place to be we're just like really smart people think you're great like right. that's amazing <laughs> that's what you want right but then the first year we were not I mean it's just it's so fun I just felt like we were the kids being invited to the adult party right. <laughs> you know I guess it would have been season five or maybe even while you were doing season six that all of a sudden, the real world, even though your show said in the past, like the real world is now, a lot of people early on were, were you know, saying, oh, isn't this a great idea to, of all things, to dredge up U.S.-Russian <laughs> tensions and spying and all of that. And then during the presidential campaign yeah. and since, it's now omnipresent. What did you guys make of that as it was all happening around you? And do you think it's in any way affected what you do, how people receive the show, all of that. Well, it doesn't really affect what we, like what I portray on the show because right. it's a fictional character and it's in the past. We know that communism doesn't win out in this particular story. So that, in that way, it doesn't really affect us as if we were a modern mm-hmm. show. If anything, it's just kind of cool that everyone's talking about it. Right. And I don't think it affected Joe and Joel because they already had their stories. But I will say, it's probably a good thing it's ending this year because people now have feelings sort of about the Russians, misguided or whatever. Right, right. The last few things are just sort of big picture stuff. Tomorrow yeah. is a very big day for you guys. This is the end of the whole thing, the series finale. By the time this episode of the podcast airs, this will have already been a week or so in the past. But for you, how far ahead have you been briefed about even if it's just season by season, or like when did you find out the ending? Just how ahead of the audience have you been throughout this? They never told us the ending, although Joe and Joel had known what the ending would be for a long time. I think they had come up with the idea. Mm -hmm. There were some things that shifted in the middle of getting to that place, but I think they had their ending. I read it about halfway through this season, and in fact, I was behind on reading my script, so I had a rare like four hours off in between a big morning of work and then I had to go back for night shoots. So we were shooting north of the city and I took script eight, nine, and 10, the final three scripts to this really fancy (laughs) restaurant (laughs) in their like dead time, like at 3.30 before, after lunch and before dinner. And I sat at the bar and ordered this gigantic 
expensive glass of red wine. And I just burned through those episodes and sat and just cried and tried to hide my face, pretending like I wasn't crying. And Why do you um, think you were crying? Just the story. Like, I, I was really moved by it. And just the culmination of, like, the ending and everything in my life. And it was such a... I'm so glad I did that. And I love the ending. I hope people who followed the show do, too. I, I hope it works out for them. Do you watch episodes when the rest of us watch episodes? Do you know I don't watch the show? But I never watch the show. You have not seen The Americans. Because we lived it, sort of. And part of it is that we're so busy with little kids right, right now in right. our life. But is that, like, a rule? Like, I will not... I don't want to watch the show. If, if, like, let's say at one of these FYC things, they're going to show an episode. We usually go and have a drink during it. But tomorrow night, I said to Matthew, I said, you know, I'm going to sit in and watch it because it's the final episode. And I think it would be really fun to watch it with an audience. And it would be like this cool closure to the whole thing. So we're going to sit and watch it. How do you think the Americans has changed the way the industry sees you? I know you've chosen not to really work that much between seasons. You do have a family. But now, after the American, I'm sure you've still been getting a sense of what's being sent your way. Do you think that, I can't we're not going back to nice moms after this, right? (laughs) I'm like, I'm only doing nice moms. moms. (laughs) If it means not shooting outside at night in New York, I'm going nice mom. (laughs) But it's like taking somebody and doing like version 2.0. I mean, most people who have played a character on TV who's become iconic, which you certainly did with Felicity, don't ever get to do that again because people can't imagine them as somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you've now already defied that by doing it twice. What do you hope comes after this? I'm really bad at saying yes to things. As my friend Mandy would say, she'd call me on the phone and she's like, why why are you answering like you're afraid? Like, you know it's me calling. She's like, you're afraid to like go get your mail during the day. So I, I like to say no to everything and live out and, and live in my little world and my house. So right. I find it difficult to say yes to things. So it has to really be right. <laughs> like something I want to do to say yes. So I have a feeling I'll kind of go into my little world for a little while mm-hmm. and read my books and see my kids and do that stuff. Or like take adventures. I've been doing that. I've been traveling a lot alone, taking these little trips on my own. This was a good one. Like, this was a really, really mm-hmm. good one. So it's tough to beat. I don't know. I, I kind of just want to take a break and... It worked last time. <laughs> it worked last time. Take a break and kind of figure out, like, what I want. And, or, like, there's so much output in doing these shows and you're expected to do so much press these days which is a ton of output that I feel like you have to put back in Mm -hmm. to feel like you can give it again and I don't know I just want to be inspired which I know is like maybe a first class problem what if they hit you up at some point for a Felicity reboot they're rebooting everything else (laughs) I know they are it's true I don't think JJ Matter doing a Felicity reboot they got bigger fish to fry I think my friends are enough. I, I think I could see my friends for dinner. I don't have to do the reboot. Right. But <laughs> but I don't know. There'll be something. I mean, I feel like there's such good stuff out right now. There'll be something. Well, I so appreciate you doing this. It's cool to capture you at this particular moment when it's, honestly, it's like the end of a great era for TV. I know for you, it probably ended a, a while ago whenever you finished shooting it. But And I don't know how much you can feel it having been in the middle of the storm. But like this is a... It's, it's in a way it's sad it's the end of a great era for a lot of us that love the show oh uh, well it, believe me I think I'll really feel it in the fall when I'm like oh we're not going back to work <laughs> you know right it was a really such a, a good moment in my career and I'm so thankful for it it was so cool for so many reasons awesome well thank you for doing this thanks for having it. me Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. 
If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.